Hello, I'm Reverend Bob Moore, Executive Director of the Coalition for Peace Action based in Princeton, New Jersey, and welcome to this second edition of the podcast, Peace Matters. Uh, Last uh, week, we had two very special guests who were experts on nuclear weapons issues, and again, today, we have two other special guests. Let me introduce them. Dr. Frank von Hippel is a senior research physicist and professor of public and international affairs emeritus at Princeton University. Previously, he was assistant director of the White House Science Advisor's Office and won the MacArthur uh, MacArthur Prize nicknamed the Genius Award. He has generously shared his expertise with the Coalition for Peace Action for numerous public talks, press conferences, candidate briefings, and lobbying appointments over the past 38 years. Dr. Leon Siegel is our other guest. He is the director of Northeast Asia Cooperative Security Project at the Social Science Research Council in New York. Previously, he taught at Wesleyan, Columbia, and Princeton, including a graduate seminar on Korea he co-taught with Dr. Von Hippel this past fall. He wrote a book on nuclear diplomacy with North Korea, which was named the 1998 Book of Distinction by the American Academy of Diplomacy and was on the New York Times editorial board for six years. Welcome to both of our guests. We really appreciate your taking the time to be with us and share your expertise. Our first, uh, our first session was on looking toward the Korea summit before it happened, the one that took place in Vietnam, the Kim-Trump summit. And now we're after the summit is over and we're going to be looking at some analysis and reflections on it. Dr. Siegel, maybe we could start with you because this is really your main area of focus is Korea diplomacy. What was your uh, analysis of what happened uh, in Vietnam? Well, in, in short, the, the Hanoi summit failed as both President Trump and Kim Jong-un, North Korean leader, overreached. They both demanded too much and little. Yet, I think each side put enough on the negotiating table for the makings of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, what we need now is for talks to resume sooner or better, perhaps with the help of uh, Korea with the aim of having both sides offer a little more for a little more. Very good. Uh, And uh, Dr. Von Hippel, do you have some initial thoughts on... Well, you know, this is going to take a long time to to get to denuclearization. You know, this uh, goes back. Uh, In fact, in, in, in a way, it could be certainly partly our fault. We threatened North Korea many times with nuclear weapons, mm. and uh, this is a natural response if, if you uh, threaten somebody with nuclear weapons. It's going to take a long time for the, for the level of trust to develop uh, mm-hmm. that, that we could actually get to denuclearization. We yes. have to do it step by step. So you agree basically with Dr. Siegel that there was overreach on both sides? Right. Yes. It did seem like there was an absolutist approach almost to me uh, to where each one is sort of like asking for their ultimate highest goal and trying to get it right at the outset. And that seemed like it was a formula for failure. Uh, And, I, you know, one of the things I wanted to share here at the outset is that, 
you know, we had uh, Ambassador Wendy Sherman spoke for our annual conference for peace last November 10th. Dr. Siegel and Dr. Von Hippel were also part of that. So we were extremely honored to have such high level and high knowledgeable people speaking. And one of the things, Ambassador Wendy Sherman, for listeners who may not recognize that name, led the effort as a three-year uh, intensive diplomacy to get the Iran nuclear agreement, which has kept Iran away from nuclear weapons to this day. When she gave her keynote speech, she shared that she literally had hundreds of people throughout the diplomatic corps, experts on diplomacy, experts on nuclear weapons and so on, who were part of her team and helped sustain that effort and drill down to get a step-by-step -step incremental approach that led ultimately, again, it took three years to get there in the end, but they did get to a verifiable agreement, which as I said, to this day, is keeping Iran away from nuclear weapons capability. And it seemed like President Trump really wasn't oriented that way. Dr. Siegel, what do you think? No, I, I, I think that's the, that's the way the reporting has you believe. But mm -hmm. in fact, this was the culmination of a long period of direct talks, some of which were conducted by U.S. diplomats, some by the intelligence community with their North Korean counterparts. And um, there were a number of steps in between which were basically ignored by the press that, that led to this moment. Was the case, however, was, you know, there wasn't enough time at the last minute after the summit was scheduled to, to work out all the differences. But, you know, we have time now to go back to that. But I, I do think there was... There was substantial contributions, and I'm happy to go into that if you want to, uh, to see how yeah. it developed over time. Why don't you? I, I mean, I, we want this to kind of drill down and get some real uh, specifics on the table here. So why don't you go into that? Before you do, though, well, yeah, I, I, oh, I wonder, wonder whether I could add my question. Go right my ahead, question. Yeah. sure, Dr. Von Hepp. Uh, that is, the, the version we read in the Times was that uh, – Kim Jong-un wanted to have all the sanctions uh, since uh, 2016 uh, raised in exchange for Yongbyon, uh, the, the nuclear center, uh, the original nuclear site uh, for, for uh, the North Korean weapons program shut down. I, I wonder whether, uh, Lee, you, you would be able to sort of uh, describe those sanctions and how they might be sliced uh, and packaged and, you know, uh, sort of in, into incremental uh, steps in exchange for incremental progress on the denuclearization? Well, while the U.S. said that they asked for all the sanctions, basically all the sanctions to be removed, that clearly wasn't the case. What was the case was that they wanted a lot more than we were prepared to give or probably should have given it, it this stage of the game. Um, there, there are a number of, of products, um, including metals, raw materials, transportation, seafood, and above all, oil and, uh, and raw petroleum uh, that are currently sanctioned. And I think uh, we wanted some of that done, but I, I think there was a little bit more nuance in the position than, than the American version, as you believe. Um, um, 
nonetheless, uh, it, they asked for too much, particularly since what they were prepared to give up. The U.S., the bottom, the, the most fundamental line, although we asked for a lot more, uh, if, if what the U.S. was asked for initially was we wanted all enrichment and plutonium facilities shut down and a commitment to dis all. And that, in effect, was what Kim Jong-un told Secretary of State Pomp Mike Pompeo the last time Pompeo visited Pyongyang. Um, what the North talked about at the summit was less um, it was not clear whether their commitment included the tritium facility at Pyongyang. It clearly seems not to have included the second uranium enrichment site, the suspect site. Um, so that was important. They did commit to dismantlement of the other facilities at Yangbyon, but again, there is some, you know, exactly what facilities, really the plutonium and enrichment facilities at Yangbyon were included. That was explicit, but there was a lot of uncertainty about how much else. Yes, and just to kind of back up a little bit so our listeners maybe can grasp uh, some of the details you're saying a little bit better, and Dr. Von Hippel, correct me if I'm wrong here, but essentially the two major ingredients of nuclear weapons that can be used to make them are plutonium and highly enriched uranium. And um, the North Koreans are able to produce both of those, but their main plutonium site is at Yongbon, and uh, they, there is another element that Dr. Siegel mentioned, tritium, which is considered a boost uh, material that can be used to make hydrogen bombs. Do I have that about right? Very good. All right. So uh, the three materials Dr. Siegel was just mentioning are all key if uh, North Korea wants to maintain its nuclear arsenal, and, and of course, eventually they... Uh, they've been growing. They may have as many as 60 nuclear warheads. Many experts are estimating, and they tested a device uh, before they instituted their moratorium leading up to the negotiations that may have been a hydrogen bomb. And so these are uh, obviously disconcerting to see any country uh, growing its nuclear arsenal. And uh, I've seen some experts say that North Korea's arsenal is the fastest-growing one in the world right now, percentage-wise. Well, Go ahead, Dr. Von Hill. Well, that's from a small base, so... Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> starting with a small base, that's so, right. So, uh, but on the on the tritium, uh, I didn't quite understand, uh, Lee. The, the um, tritium uh, re requires a reactor to make it, and uh, I, th I think the reactor at Yongbyong was was on the table, so even if the facility where the tritium is separated wasn't on the table, uh, I'm not sure what the issue would be. The the issue for the U.S. make sure that the uh, tritium reprocessing facility was shut down. That seems to be the issue. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. The key is the reactor. Mm -hmm. 
Right, and things did look kind of hopeful. I'll uh, put a few more things on the table here because we're part of the Korea Peace Network, a nationwide network that is advocating strongly for progress on peace with in the Korean Peninsula. And uh, there were a couple of things that we thought were close to fruition that the president could have seized on, and Mr. Kim as well. One of them was a permanent end to the Korean War. There had been very good progress made on that, and this has been a long-time concern for North Korea to say, well, how are we supposed to have peaceful relations when we're technically still in a state of war and, and we have to worry about whether we're, we're going to be attacked at some point? Uh, uh, so that was certainly one important thing that was, that was on the table that it seems to me we could have tried to uh, put that out there. It certainly would have improved the atmosphere, but it might have been something that would have also been progress on this step-for-step -step, uh, process that North Korea has been really quite insistent on. They're saying they're willing to give up major things, including the facility we were just discussing, the Yangbon plant, which is their main plant, uh, but we've got to have significant concessions in response. Well, well go the ahead, US, Doctor. On the way the summit actually made some of those concessions, mm -hmm. this is not well understood. Okay. Um, I mean, f first of all, the, f the first step was we suspended and then scaled down large-scale joint exercises right. on the Korean Peninsula, mm -hmm. which clearly was done at President Trump's behest. He, he was right. a fan of what he calls war games. The next step came during Pompeo's visit to Pyongyang in October 2018. At an earlier meeting that July, um, Kim declined to see Pompeo. Um, and right. the reason was Pompeo was not authorized to put an end-of-the-war declaration on the negotiating table. And uh, uh, next, Pompeo's next trip was also postponed because, again, there was no agreement in Washington to put that on the table. But in his last visit, that was, in fact, put on the table. That is to say, the United States said it was prepared with South Korea and presumably China eventually to issue an end-of-war declaration. It's not the same thing as a peace treaty. That will take a peace process and a lot of other right. steps before right. you have a formal end to the war. But it is an important step that the North wanted. Finally, um, the, the U.S. also indicated it was ready at the summit. Um, to open, share, exchange liaison offices. That's not quite full diplomatic recognition, but it means would have uh, something less than an embassy in each capital. And um, Kim Jong-un seems to have accepted that at the summit. So these things are main on the table, and they are, they are important steps. Now, where the U.S. fell short was on sanctions relief. Right. Um, it was the case the U.S. Um, uh, granted exemption for humanitarian aid under U.N. sanctions. You understand that under U.N. sanctions, you have to go to the U.N. committee that does sanctions and grant an exemption. And by granting that, we were showing the North Korean 
that we were moving away from enmity. And the U.S. also gave some indication in the in the run-up to the, the summit that we were prepared to relax some token U.S. sanctions. Um, so the problem was we weren't prepared to do enough to get all the things we wanted, uh, which went beyond a shutdown of Yongbyon and its dismantlement to the suspect enrichment site. We wanted, by the way, uh, an end to missile production, particularly of the intermediate and intercontinental range right. bullet mm-hmm. missiles. And we wanted us to a lot of sites to do what Frank von Hippel calls nuclear archaeology. Uh, that is to say, to get some ideas, some reading through technical means of how fissile material was produced at those various sites, starting with the mines, then the ore refining plants, then the uranium fluoride plant, which turns uranium into a gas, which you need for enrichment. And, of course, the enrichment facilities and the processing plant and the reactor. So, above all, the nuclear weapons test site, because you want to know how much fissile material of which kind was burned up, how much highly enriched uranium and how plutonium. So, we wanted a lot, and we clearly weren't prepared to give remotely enough for all of that. As we got to the summit, we really focused on Yongbyon and the second enrichment site. In other words, we focused very hard on shutting down and getting a commitment to dismantle the fissile material sites. So that's, that's how the thing developed. And we need to get back to focusing on the fissile material sites and their shutdown that's all of them, and a commitment to their dismantlement after we've done the nuclear archaeology we're going to have to do at those places. Right. Von Hi- Professor Von Hippel, would you like to add to that? Well, uh, just two real questions while we have Lee. One, one is, you know, what what would be the package of, of, of sanctions relief that you would imagine would, would go with that? And the other question is, is where does this leave President Moon? who really initiated mm-hmm. this whole process? Well, let me ask, answer the second one first. President Moon has made clear that he's prepared to do what he needs to do to try to get the talks uh, to continue. Right. And, and my hope is that that will happen after a, uh, a, a short, you know, set, let, letting the dust settle, as the Secretary of State put it. Um, as, as far as what we need to do um, to get over the summit, if you will, um, um, we need to sh- shut down not only fissile material production, but at Yongbyon, at all sites, and commit to dismantlement. Uh, they'll also need to... S- to do what they said they were prepared to do at Hanoi, which is, um, I think, Foreign Minister Rio said, during the meeting we expressed our intent to make a commitment on a permanent suspension of nuclear testing and long-range rocket launch tests um, in order to lower the concerns of the United States. That's their foreign minister's exact exact words about what was done at the summit. Now, 
carrying out those commitments obviously will require much more sanctions relief than Washington and had offered. And I would suggest it, it ought to include an exemption for reopening the Kaesong Industrial Complex, which is jointly right. by the North and South in the North. Uh, a resumption of South Korean tourism at Mount Kunglang, which is Diamond Mountain. Um, and at least an increased UN quota for oil imports to the North, and probably ending the U.S. Trading with the Enemy Act sanctions. By the way, two previous presidents eased and then reimposed. So, um, I, you know, the fundamental thing here is we need to test whether relaxing sanctions will yield more than tightening them, right. uh, making North Korea more dependent on China than on dependent on South Korea than on China. Right. Look, makings of a deal there. Um, Secretary State Pompeo said there has to be a theory of the case to move forward. I'm confident there is one. He didn't say what it was, but going back to a step-by-step approach is essential. What happened at the summit is President Trump decided to go for broke. Right. And he wanted to include chemical and biological weapons, all the all the nuclear facilities, all the missile facilities, and and that's a bridge too far. That was, you know, a, 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 a comprehensive bargain. And even John Bolton uh, told him that won't work right. before he put it on the table. Uh, prompted that was probably some combination of. You know, having the the hearings going on with Michael Cohen, but also North's, you know, less than robust offer and increased demand. So we need to get back to step by step approach um, and stop swinging for the fences. You, you know, in baseball, you you get more runs by singles. And- <laughs> Good point. Very good point. And if I could just build on what you were saying, it seems to me that where diplomacy has actually gotten the most momentum is between North and South Korea. There's really been a very good increase in the spirit of cooperation and in positive progress between those two. And yet the United States seems to not be wanting to interface with that synergy to help it get more of a sense of momentum on the core and negotiations that we're having with North Korea, and I think there there needs to be and there could be. I mean, the things you just mentioned, Dr. Siegel, uh, certainly come to mind, the idea of reopening uh, economic cooperation between North and South Korea, and yet we're, we're the ones blocking that by and large. And the same thing, they have a railroad they wanted to start running between the two countries. There are a number of positive steps that have been taken that we could build on and instead, yes, uh, but I think that mm-hmm. that really does have to be conditioned on North Korean steps to denuclearize. Yes, exactly. No, I'm not. I, 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 oh, I do. I do agree. I'm saying these are some of the steps that it seems to me we could have been putting on the table to try to get this step by step progress that you mentioned. Dr. Van Hippel, I don't know. You had two questions, really. The second one, Dr. Siegel's already spoken to. I don't know if you want to come back to the first one. On Moon? President yes. Moon? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, do, do you have anything more you can say about how, you know, how the uh, South Koreans see their way forward? I mean, there is an issue of uh, President Moon's honeymoon 
being over in South Korea, whether South Korea is reverting to its uh, a polarized state like, like we do. We do. Uh, do you have anything, any thoughts on that, Lee? Well, uh, you know, what was the thing in public opinion was always how, how far things would move toward peace and denuclearization with North Korea. The, the big negative for Moon is, you know, China's economy is not growing very fast and has enormous impact on, on Korean growth. Because Korea makes a lot of things that it sells. To right. Um, and so, uh, you know, this was a setback in of his public standing. But I think, I think he's determined to push ahead and he understands he's got in the North Koreans back to the negotiating table. And he's going to do whatever he needs to do to try to make that happen. The good news is Kim Jong-un left, the, left everyone with a clear impression he wanted to go back to the negotiating table. Not necessarily a summit right away, but negotiations move forward. And President Trump has indicated the same. In fact, Bolton, you know, yesterday on television was, was talking about how we needed to get back to the table because the president wanted that. It's not clear John Bolton wanted that, but the president did. Uh, I think there's a reasonable chance we'll get back to the table. The key is not to start talking about new sanctions. And I think there won't be new U.N. sanctions because the Russians and Chinese won't go along at this point because they can see the makings of a deal as well as anybody else can. Right, right. Well, we're getting near the end of our time. Uh, Do either one of you have things that you would have liked to express that we haven't gotten to you yet? I would just go back to uh, the subject of one of the subjects of okay. your your first podcast, which yes. is no first use. Yes, good. Which which would have, uh, which would have, which would help in a number of areas, including this. Yes, I mean, that we have to really uh, stop threatening people with nuclear weapons, and if they don't th- threaten us with nuclear weapons. Absolutely, I think that's a really key step that could really. Uh, bring us back from the brink and uh, especially the danger of nuclear war through miscalculation. So I think that would be a, a very important step. There is legislation we've been supporting in the U.S. Congress, and so I encourage our listeners to go to our website, peacecoalition.org, and undertake action. You can see uh, a number of things you can support along the lines of no first use. The new chair of the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee has a bill that would just make that our policy of, as the United States. But another one is uh, uh, to, that is the Restricting First Use of Nuclear Weapons Act that would not ban it entirely, but say that we could only use nuclear weapons, the president could, if we were under nuclear attack. Otherwise, it would require a declaration of war by Congress that specifically authorized the use of nuclear weapons. So let me just sort of say that we are very appreciative of these experts who have helped us understand what happened uh, in the recent summit, the Hanoi summit on the Korean nuclear issue, Uh, It was a disappointing outcome, but Dr. Siegel, we really appreciate your helping us see that there's still a lot of potential there. And Dr. Von Hippel, thank you for lending your expertise, too. I also want to, before I close this podcast, give a special thanks to our producer, David Kelly Crow, 
who was really the inspiration for me starting this podcast series. Uh, I really appreciate that. And also engineer for this podcast is, is George McCullough at Princeton Community TV. So we are very appreciative. Thank you listeners for listening. And go to peacecoalition.org uh, and look for more information. The podcasts are listed on the top right-hand side of that website. Please do share them with the people that you know. Thank you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay. Ta-da.